This is Tragic Theater. In the previous episode, Annie Francisco enlists the help of Father Nilo Marcello, in ridding the Manila Film Center of ghostly apparitions. The latter agreed and they set the date of the initial seance. Tragic Theater Chapter 2, The First Visit A full week had passed but to Annie, it seemed to have been more. From the time she and Father Marcelo planned for tonight's quest, her calendar including weekends, had been filled with appointments. She feared it will be so in the weeks and months ahead. In addition to the task of overseeing the film center's rehabilitation, she was also given a supporting role in the preparation for the Millennium Celebration set at midnight of December 31st. The Department of Tourism had made this event top priority with the planned simultaneous celebrations all over the country. With Manila lying in the same time zone as Hong Kong, Singapore, and Beijing, the Tourism Department was working hard to get the city a share of the global TV coverage when the clock strikes midnight to welcome the year 2000. Huge fireworks display in Manila Bay together with those at the Ayala Center, Fort Bonifacio, and Quezon Memorial Circle would light up the metro skyline. Cultural shows would precede the final countdown. Although it was still 10 months away, the planning had already taken most of the department's time. Annie had to attend to various meetings in a day. She had not forgotten, though, to make the proper arrangements for tonight. Maintenance personnel had already made checks on the building's electrical circuits and ventilation system. Guards were alerted to expect the arrival of Father Marcelo's group. She herself would proceed there at their appointed meeting time of 8 o'clock. Feeling that it was her project, she wanted to be present in all the activities that would take place in the premises. Besides, she looked forward to seeing how Father Marcelo and his group work which should be quite interesting. Ghost stories scared Annie, and she did not relish the idea of being in the same room with them. However, Father Marcelo assured her that beyond that thought there was really nothing to be scared of. Spirits will not harm you as long as you do not let them, she remembered him say. She could have asked her staff to accompany her tonight but none of them were inclined to volunteer. She usually kept her appointments on time. At five minutes to eight she drove within sight of the steps of the building. The Manila Film Center was designed to look like the Parthenon, a famous ruin atop the Acropolis in Athens, Greece, with massive columns all around supporting the expansive structure. Like its Greek model the film center towers above, elevated by the steps that surround it thus, giving it a commanding view of the area around. It stands on a piece of reclaimed land off Manila Bay and developed into what is known as the CCP Complex. The very first project in this complex was the Cultural Center of the Philippines, Manila's premier opera house. When it was inaugurated in 1969, no less than then California Governor Ronald Reagan and his wife Nancy were the guests of honor. The success of that endeavor inspired the government to build the Folk Arts Theater, which the administration boasted it had finished in a record 77 days, to host the 1974 Miss Universe beauty pageant. Next came the modern Philippine International Convention Center, considered the crown jewel of the entire complex. It was completed in 1976 to host the 5,500 delegates to the annual meeting of the World Bank and International Monetary Fund. Right behind it the Western Philippine Plaza Hotel simultaneously went up with all the other hotels in Manila that opened to meet the expected influx of tourists. Other structures that followed, like the Coconut Palace and the Philippine Center for International Trade and Exhibits, were inaugurated with less fanfare, until plans were drawn up for the Manila Film Center. The pomp and pageantry of past inaugurations would be relived once more. Indeed, Hollywood luminaries were in attendance and the administration basked in glory at the success of that inaugural event. Overshadowed and forgotten was the tragic accident two months before. Annie saw that Father Marcello was already there with his group. 
they came in one van. She drove up the driveway and parked behind their Mitsubishi L300 van. After a moment of hesitation, she got down from the car and went up the front steps to where they had assembled at the main entrance. The security guards stood behind. The building itself was an imposing structure with its massive columns dominating the architectural landscape. Large black glass windows constitute its facade making it seem hollow from a distance. As she slowly stepped forward, an eerie feeling began to envelope her whole body. The hairs on her arms began to straighten up. Seeing those glass windows and knowing what was waiting for them inside sent shivers down her spine. She could feel butterflies inside her stomach. Annie tried to look as composed as she could but her hands were already trembling. The sight of Father Marcello wearing casual clothing temporarily made her forget her fears. It was the first time she had seen him wear something other than a priest's white robe and the occasional plain button-down shirt. She found him surprisingly handsome in his jeans and long-sleeved checkered shirt. Seeing him in a new light made her sense a certain aura in him. For a few seconds she thought her heart skipped a beat. Unfortunately, she felt a little overdressed in her pantsuit as everyone else was in jeans. She then made a mental note to wear something more rugged next time. Good, we're all on time. She said, glancing at Father Marcello. I knew you would be, he answered back. Let me introduce my group. Father Marcello continued and pointed to each one. This is Teresa, Lana, Irwin, Ruth, and Mick. Behind them are Marlo, Arlene, Army, Norman, Gill, and Eldon. Pleased to meet you, Juanini said as she shook hands with all. She could tell, they found her hand cold as ice. They're the mediums and channelers I was telling you about. They make up the core of my group. All of them have varied abilities to communicate with the paranormal. Erwin here will be our lead for tonight. Father Marcello and his group had come mentally and emotionally prepared. The fact that this would be their biggest paranormal encounter, at the venue that they had always dreamed about, thoroughly motivated them. The Manila Film Center represents the most challenging of all haunted places in the country. It was just too darn good to pass up. There would be no room for fear, no time for hesitation, and no place for anxiety. It was business as usual. Annie, are you sure you're up to it? You seemed pale. You don't have to go. Don't worry about me, Father. I can manage. Annie assured him. You can stay in the lobby with the guards to keep you company while we go to the main theater and proceed. I'm okay. Really? Annie insisted. Very well. Tell you what. I'll stick close until I feel I can no longer take it and let you know. Father Marcello just nodded and said, Stay with me then, let's proceed. The group walked towards the main entrance. The two guards opened the glass doors for them. Erwin went in first, followed by the rest. Father Marcello, with Annie beside him, brought up the rear. Once inside they stood still for a moment and looked around. The lobby was dimly lit as only a few of the pin lights were working. The air was stale but refreshed by the slight wind coming through the main entrance the guards had left open. Thick dust covered the marble floors and carpeted stairways. Cobwebs enveloped the white capiz shells of the main chandelier. But most pervasive of all was the silence. The silence of emptiness. The only sound Annie could hear was their breathing and the beating of her own heart. The only other time Annie had set foot at the film center was when their high school class watched the film El Filibusterismo in the mini-theater. She could hardly remember how its once majestic interiors looked at the time. Erwin and Norman turned their flashlights on and started to lead the way towards the main theater. A colorful mural of C. Malacas at C. Magandag greeted them at the carpeted reception area. On both ends of the painting was a pair of twin panel doors leading to the orchestra section. They took the ones to the left and found them locked. They then proceeded to take the right, 
Due to the quietness of the whole place, the doors gave out a loud creaking sound when they pulled these open. The noise echoed throughout the huge dark hall. The main theater was totally without lights as the circuits were reportedly busted. Guided by their flashlights, the group walked down the steep hall towards the stage. They had to be very careful, as there were several descending steps to take. Nobody took notice of the fact that underneath the very floor they were walking on lay the scattered bones of the unfortunate workers. Father Marcello used his light to scan the whole area. On both his left and right sides were rows of folded seats. He turned around and gazed towards the direction of the projection booth. He had never been here before even when it was still in operation. He was instantly impressed with its size. As his light hit the last row of seats, he noticed something white at the right corner. He trained his light on it to get a detailed look. It was a piece of cloth covering what must be the farthermost seat. He assumed someone must have covered that seat with the cloth as it was probably broken. Other than that nothing else seemed unusual. He turned and continued towards the stage. Annie walked ahead of him. She did not look anywhere else but down, watching her every step. Father Marcello knew she was tensed and obviously trying to put up a brave front. He understood her dilemma. Being the project's proponent, she had to exercise direct supervision over the night's proceedings. The film center was her sole responsibility and that she was answerable to her superiors in case any untoward incident happens. He just hoped she would get through the evening. A few moments later, they reached the stage. To the right was a low tunnel. Previous accounts reported that inside that passageway was a rough portrait of the former First Lady done by a group of activist artists. None of the volunteers attempted to go in anymore to see firsthand. Rather, they all climbed on top of the stage through the side steps. The stage was a solid block of concrete. It was believed that majority of the victims were trapped and buried on this spot. It had sort of become one giant tomb. When everyone was up on stage, flashlights were turned off. For a solemn moment, they stood in silence and bowed their heads. In the stillness of the night, Father Marcello lit a candle and spoke. We come here to this forsaken place, to communicate with the souls of the departed, the victims of the unfortunate tragedy, and in loving memory of the families they left behind. As the cry for justice echoes in this chamber, the call for deliverance resonates outside the walls. Let us remember the forgotten, and listen to the voice of the unheard. We pray so that peace of the Lord will be with them, our Father who art in heaven. Holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Do not bring us to the test but deliver us from evil. Amen. Almighty God, who by the love which you have for all people, have deigned to take our humanity, to live a life of hard work, to suffer a most cruel passion, and finally to die on the cross. I beseech you, by the infinite merits purchased for us with your precious blood, look mercifully on the suffering which is endured by the holy souls in purgatory. Accept, O merciful God, the prayers which I offer for them and call them to the glory of heaven. I recommend to you the souls still inside the Manila Film Center, victims of injustice, that they may see the light of your presence. Most Holy Virgin, Mother of Mercy, Comforter of the Afflicted, intercede for these souls that, by your powerful intercession, they may be admitted to enjoy the kingdom which is prepared for them. Amen. Let us spread the light to guide those who are still in darkness, he concluded. Army distributed candles all around. Father Marcello lit them one by one with his light. They walked to the center of the stage and placed the candles standing in a cross-like pattern. Afterwards, they formed a circle around the candles and sat down. Father Marcello sat facing the orchestra seats. Clockwise to his left sat Annie, Teresa, Gil, Mick, Ruth, Norman, Irwin, Arming, Lana, Eldon, Arlene, and Marlowe. 
with everybody settled down, he nodded at Erwin to begin. Erwin took a deep breath, looked at each one of them and prepared to speak. Let me remind everyone that the spirits cannot harm us unless we permit them to do so. Let us hold hands to form a circle of solidity. Do not break this circle. Do not let unwelcome entities enter our circle. They all held each other's hands tightly. Annie felt the warmth of Father Marcello's hands and began to feel at ease. Sitting beside him, and holding his hands, gave her a sense of security. Everything seemed to be going smoothly. It had been noticeably quiet since they first went through the main entrance. She was expecting to hear screams and other loud noises, at the onset, that would scare her out of her wits. Nothing strange had occurred so far and she fervently hoped it stayed that way. I call on the souls here present, Erwin announced in the darkness, to lend their voices to us so we may know the message they want to communicate. There was a long silence. Nothing. I call on the souls here present, to lend their voices to us so we may know the message they want to communicate. There was another long silence. The group patiently waited. To Annie, unfamiliar with the ritual, the silence was deafening. The wait agonizing. Sweat began forming on her forehead. A slight wind passed through, disturbing the tranquility of the candlelight. A few minutes later they began to hear faint noises in the background. A creak, then a bang, followed by screeching and hissing. Annie started trembling. She closed her eyes and held tightly to Teresa and Father Marcello. A burst of cold air sent the flames of the candles dancing wildly. Annie's heart was pounding at a very fast rate. Everyone else was calm and deep in concentration. I call on the souls here present, to lend their voices to us so we may know the message they want to communicate. The noise continued, sounds of foot dragging were clearly heard, approaching from a distance. Closer and closer they came, with each step getting louder. A strange odor, like that of a dead rat, suddenly filled the air. The floor turned very cold and a slightly visible vapor seemed to rise from underneath. I call on the souls here present to lend their voices to us so we may know the message they want to communicate. The foot dragging stopped. Heavy breathing was being heard all around, directly from behind. The odor became stronger. To Annie it felt like being completely surrounded by unseen beings. She was beginning to feel claustrophobic. Breathing became difficult. She found herself gasping for air. The foul smell added to her predicament. She could no longer hold on. She was beginning to faint. The loud sound startled her and the rest of the group. It was her Nokia cellular phone sounding off a message alert. Annie had forgotten to put it on silent mode. Out of instinct, she let go of the priest's hand to reach for the phone in her bag. Father Marcello immediately grabbed her hand back and looked irately at her. Don't break the circle. The priest almost screamed. Annie looked at him dumbfounded. His flare-up had jolted her back to her senses. She wanted to apologize but the thought of being embarrassed in front of others had hurt her pride. Of all people, she never expected him to raise his voice against her. How dare him, she thought. Annie quickly turned her face away. Erwin continued on. I invite one of you to temporarily take over my body and use my power of speech. Erwin did not repeat himself anymore. Instead, he just sat still and with legs folded arms on his lap, closed his eyes. Another long wait followed. Still smarting from Father Marcello's rebuff, Annie kept to herself. Licking her wounded pride, she became oblivious to what was going on. She kept replaying in her mind what had just transpired between them. As a result, 
she totally forgot that she was having breathing difficulties moments before. Her claustrophobia soon disappeared. It was the message alert on her cell phone once again. She tried to free her right hand but the priest tightened his grip on her even more. She gave him a stern look and in a low voice, said, Either I silence it off or you do it for me. He frowned and let go without looking. She reached for her phone and turned it off. Thank you. She said with obvious sarcasm, holding out her hand and letting him reach for it. Deep inside, she was smiling at her minor triumph. Now that she was able to get back at him, Annie considered it even. The volunteers exchanged glances at one another. Although no one exhibited the slightest smile, the distraction provided a comic relief to the tension inside the hall. Even the spirits were probably distracted as all the noise suddenly disappeared. There was silence once more. Everyone's attention shifted back to Irwin as his body began to jerk. His eyes were still closed. His hands trembled uncontrollably. Perspiration rolled down the side of his face. His mouth opened wide as if wanting to scream but no sound came out. A split second later, he came to a trance. All movement stopped and he sat very still. Marlow, who was seated opposite Irwin, took over as facilitator and spoke to the spirit inside him. Will you introduce yourself? There was no answer. Will you introduce yourself? Marlowe asked again with a slightly raised voice. Primitivo, Primitivo Cruz. The voice coming from Irwin said. It was soft but sounded angry. Primitivo. Who else wants to be heard and speak his mind? After a few more minutes, Primitivo gave the names of Raul Espinosa and Samuel Indanon. Mick and Eldon called out to Raul and Samuel, respectively, and invited them to temporarily take over their bodies and use their voices. Both mediums went through the same physical experience as Irwin did a while back. Ruth had brought along a portable tape recorder and was recording the whole proceeding. They would be analyzing all conversations that take place tonight and in subsequent encounters. Marlo turned to Mick's still body and spoke. Raul Espinoza. Is it you inside that body? Yes. Raul said in another soft voice. Marlowe then faced Eldon and spoke. Samuel Indanon. Is it you inside? Yes. The voice from Eldon sounded a little brash. In that case let us begin. I'm Marlowe. Your facilitator. Marlowe introduced everybody to Primitivo, Raul, and Samuel. He informed the spirits of the group's purpose in helping them get to the next spiritual plane. When he mentioned this they all heard faint whispers behind. The presence of more beings crowding outside their circle was also felt. Cold air seemed to be blowing from all directions. Samuel spoke first among the three, telling his audience that they did not want to be bothered anymore, that they should be left alone for good. Primitivo even warned of something unpleasant happening if they would keep coming back. Raul asked about the three concerns that the previous group had promised to address. Father Marcelo was well aware of those three things. He had read the series of written accounts by the Philippine Daily Inquirer on the Quester's visits to the Manila Film Center. First, the spirits requested that the CCP management find their bones and give these the proper burial. Second was the request for a marker commemorating the terrible tragedy and the lives that were lost. And finally, a complete list of all the workers in the construction site at the time of the accident so that their families would be informed of their demise. The last request was especially important to them as no official list of the victims ever came out. To their families, they simply disappeared. Father Marcelo replied to Raul's query saying his group cannot answer to what was promised them, but the longer they refuse to accept their fate the longer their misery. 
he told them not to hold out any longer. He explained that though their life on earth had ended, it may just be a fraction of their total existence. The best part may yet to come. A much better world lies beyond. Besides, some of their loved ones may already be waiting for them in the next level. He urged them to let go of their anger so that they could be set free. He then asked how many of them still remained. Raul informed them that they still number more than a hundred and that they had long ago decided against ever leaving this place. This was their home and none of the living could ever convince them otherwise. Father Marcelo sensed their loathing for those still living, maybe because life was suddenly taken away from them. He asked for all their names so that their families could be tracked down and finally informed of their fate. There was no reply for almost twenty minutes. Everyone sat still, anticipating a response. Annie experienced a little headache. She did not know if it was due to the stale air or the fact that she was exhausted from work. And sitting on the floor was hardly relaxing. Samuel finally said, Leave us alone. The thundering sound of something crashing to the ground sent the group ducking for cover. Still holding on to each other they looked to see if anything did fall down, but nothing of the sort happened. Everything fell silent. Erwin, Mick and Eldon came out of their trance as the spirits they were hosting abruptly left their bodies. Bewildered, Father Marcello tried calling them back, but to no avail. He called on other spirits to communicate but nothing happened as well. It gave him no other choice but to prematurely end the seance. The priest led the praying of the rosary. After the prayers he called out to the spirits to inform them that his group would be back. They picked up the candles and left the stage. They then proceeded back to the lobby. Gil, who was at the end of the line, felt the cold air following them. There was a tap on his shoulder but he refused to look back. As they walked up the aisle they heard the empty seats on both sides making creaking noises. Sounds of hammering and sawing emanated from the backstage. A man's scream erupted in the distance. A strong wind coming from behind blew the flames out of their candles. Total darkness embraced them as they headed for the door. Annie has had enough. She could not wait to get out so she hurried up the steps. Unknowingly, she was already shoving forward the person right in front. Upon reaching the exit a problem cropped up. The twin doors that opened to the lobby suddenly became too heavy to push. Something seemed to block the other side. Everyone joined in pushing one of the door panels. With their collective effort, they managed to open it less than halfway before being pushed back and the door slamming shut on them. Norman almost lost his index finger as he barely had time to remove it from the door's edge. They tried one more time. With much greater effort, they were able to push it open wider but again, they were slowly being pushed back. They tried to regain the momentum and swing the door out. It was a seesaw struggle against an unseen force. Suddenly the door gave way sending them all forward to the ground kissing the dusty carpet. Quickly getting up, they made their way to the lobby and rushed outside. Their sudden exit took the guards by surprise. Shit. What happened in there? Annie could barely say as she tried to catch her breath, 